Thanks for listening to the Lunch and Learn with Dr. Barry, here to help educate, motivate, and put you on the right path to take control of your health through weekly discussions on topics in the medical field, public health arena, and in your community. And now your host, Dr. Barry. All right, welcome to another episode of the Lunch and Learn with Dr. Barry. I'm your host, Dr. Barry Pierre, your favorite board-certified internist, CEO and founder of PR Medical Consulting, helping you empower yourself for better health with the number one podcast for patient advocacy, affirmation, and education. This week, we have special guest, Dr. Katie Aluzma Haber, who is a neuroscience nurse practitioner working in an outpatient as well as inpatient clinic with specialty in neurodegenerative diseases such as Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, chronic migraines, multiple sclerosis. I have her on the show because I have known her for like over a decade. And outside the busy career she has, she continues to balance the roles of being a mother, a sister, a daughter, and more importantly, a good friend of mine. And she is now stepping out to the social media realm, educating the community on neuroscience and neuroscience-related diseases. That's why I have her on the show. I want you to pay attention to kind of watch and listen to her journey and see how it seems like neurology and neuroscience was always within her like always remember to subscribe to the podcast leave us a five-star review and make sure you go to and follow her instagram channel when it's said and done the description will be in the show notes and i know it's been a while y'all i know y'all been asking we have a special guest on the show today this is actually someone that i've probably known for about oh this is 12 years because yeah, we used to walk the hallways i, I know it's like it, hi <laughs> The time is just moving, right? And I, I, I recently saw her. She's, she's, she's now a doctor of, uh, she's a nurse practitioner, uh, specialized in neuroscience. And I saw she was doing this thing called Neuro Nuggets. And I said, oh, I need to get her on my show. Like I, I said, you know what? This, this is a person that I want to just kind of highlight because, and you know how we do on our show. When we see people, especially in our healthcare field, wanting to educate, wanting to promote their field, their education while bringing their own personal touch to it. We want to make sure we highlight it to the masses, right? So Dr. Katie, first of all, thank you for joining uh, this week's episode of Medicine Mondays and I appreciate you for having us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, this is an honor um, as I am very nebulous in this stage of tapping into being a healthcare content creator. So um, I'm very honored and I appreciate you um, popping my cherry. (laughs) I I, I love it. And it's it's so interesting because uh, we we talked about this a little bit offline, like, because like, I remember when I first started and I I remember going through that said journey. So I just love when I'm able to offer any type of assistance that I can uh, to get people out there, especially when I know they're doing beautiful and absolutely amazing things. So first and foremost, right, question, you know, right off the bat, right, especially people don't read the description, they don't get your bio, because I got a lot of people, they don't read, they don't read, they don't read my descriptions. I wish, I wish I could say that. It's human. It's like, what are the quick bullet points? That's 100%, right? So who's Dr. Katie? Like, who, who are you in? Like, like, how do we get to this point where we're at now? So my origin story starts out of Immokalee, Florida. Um, It's a small town outside of Naples. So most people know 
Naples, Miami, Fort Lauderdale, you know, like the main city. Yep. Immokalee is a small town. Um, I'm not sure what the population size is, but um, basically um, it's an agriculture town. So there's a lot of immigrants, a lot of migrants that work in the fields and stuff. So if you've had some produce from Whole Foods, sometimes your tomatoes, because uh, you know, it lists the town um, it's from, you may have had Immokalee tomatoes. So um, I'm first generation. Uh, my parents migrated here from Haiti and um, I'm first of four. And um, yeah, so that's my origin story. Left the West Coast of Florida, come to the East Coast for school and I have not left. Um, started at Florida Atlantic University. Then I went into the nursing program, my undergraduate program at Nova Southeastern University, where I met Dr. Berry. Um, we used to walk the halls of HPD together in our uh, early years of learning yes. medicine, bright-eyed, bushy-tail, and not knowing what the world before COVID, <laughs> before monkeypox, <laughs> we didn't know um, before Zika, Ebola. We, there's been quite a few things since we've been, You know, it's so crazy. As you say it, like, yeah, there's been some things that we we definitely would have not no have idea. imagined <laughs> while we were in school. Yes. Um, it's so funny because, you know, my, uh, people are asked this a lot when you're, you know, prepping to get into nursing school. and it's why do you want to be a nurse? And the question is valid. And it's interesting because as my career has evolved and as I've evolved into different roles, I should say, um, I still go back to the fact that I'm here to help patients and tapping into where I am now, my origin story from small town to now, it's how do I tap into the skill set that I've slowly been building and have a strong foundation on and how do I now utilize the internet to, you know, show um, what I have to offer. So graduated from undergrad, did uh, my bachelor's in nursing, worked at the bedside, started out as a neuro tele nurse. So I dealt with the strokes, acute strokes in the inpatient setting. Mm -hmm. I um, dealt with, you know, acute altered mental status. Um, if you got recently diagnosed with a brain tumor, then, you know, it, I was at the bedside. Did that for a few years. Then I transferred into the neuro ICU. Um, did that, which was a little bit more acute care, um, high acuity, I should say, of care. And did that for a few years and then decided I wanted to go back to school. Um, the bedside is very rewarding. You do give back to the patients. You do care for patients. However, um, I felt that there was more that I could achieve. And um, I do miss bedside. I, I do miss uh, some of the elements of it. Um, although I am very happy in the role that I am in now. So I decided to go back uh, to school to get my graduate degree in um, nursing. And I decided I wanted to be a nurse practitioner. There's different tracks that you can do when you go decide to go back to school. And I wanted to be a nurse practitioner. I decided to do the doctoral prepared program of nurse practitioner um, route because there still is the master's level and there's the doctoral level. Now it can get very confusing to patients mm -hmm. because whenever you say the word doctor, you associate that with a physician. Right. However, the easiest way I can explain it is think of a PhD education 
person. Sorry to break your concentration. I know you're probably knee deep into today's episode, but do not forget, check out our Lunch and Learn community store, shop.drbarrypierre.com. Remember to use the code EMPOWER10 and make sure you are leaving us a five-star review, especially on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thank you. Now back to your regularly scheduled podcast. Um, they and that's are something I always have to educate my, my patients as well. And yeah. again, it's, and it's, a, it's a, the public perception for some reason, only, especially when you're in that building, only connects doctor to physician. Correct. They, they don't connect doctor to the nurse practitioner. They don't connect doctor to the pharmacist. They don't connect doctor to the physical therapist. Like for some, uh, again, and I don't know whose fault it is, but like for some reason, they just do not connect doc- yeah. doctorates with all these other professions when they got doctors walking around. Correct. And I think nursing was probably the last to the table because pharmacists have since you know, um, canceled out their master's level. They're all PharmDs, physical mm-hmm. therapists. I don't think there's any master levels. Um, nursing, it's, um, we could do another episode on that if you would like. Yes. It's very <laughs> convoluted um, with Ooh. each level because you have um, your licensed practical nurses, which are still very much like an RN. There's just some like intricacies that, you know, delineates them from being able to do certain things within their scope. Then for a registered nurse, they can be associates or they can be bachelors prepared. Then you have nurse practitioner. It's a lot. (laughs) So um, I decided to do the DMP only because I didn't want to go back to school. Honestly, I said, I'm doing that. It was like, we're doing this in one shot. Originally, when I first started applying, I was applying to master programs and I didn't get in the first round. So I was like, okay. Um, And then I think it was like two cycles later that I decided, let me just try a DMP program. Because at that time, most people were not pursuing the DMP because there is actually no um, compensation difference in the grand scheme of things because providers, um, although although I'm a provider, but there's nothing that says a doctoral provider versus a master's prepared nurse practitioner provider that they should be paid different. And it just depends on the institution you work at. You know, there may be some benefits somewhere else, but I have not encountered that. Um, But having the doctoral- That could be a whole discussion. That could be a whole discussion in itself. I'm telling you, it's the nursing- I mean, how much time do you have? <laughs> we can do it right now. So nursing is very convoluted. Uh, although if I could do it all over again, I would do nursing. Um, but uh, because it is uh, my profession, I believe I can speak on it. You know, it, it's like if your family has drama, you can speak on you your can family. Speak on it because you're in it. You're in the family. So you're, you're allowed in to. The outsiders got to relax. But the insiders, they can. Yes, it's always out of love. It's nothing that to um, bring down the profession because I love being a nurse. Um, But having the DMP allows me to then decide if I want to go into the academics. I could be a professor. I don't need extra additional training and whatnot. Mm. And the only difference between a master's prepared um, nurse practitioner and a DMP prepared is that I had to do a dissertation, which we call um, the scholarly project. When I first started, it was considered the capstone, but by the time I was finished with my program, it was called the scholarly project, which is AKA your dissertation. 
Haitian finish it. Um, I actually did my project on the Haitian community and advanced directives. And let me tell you, it was very interesting. Oh. So yeah. for the lunch learning community, if you, I'm pretty, you should know, I mean, last name's Pierre. Um, I'm Haitian American as well. And, and that is such a, that is such a topic um, and mind you, because I take care of patients in the acute care center, long-term care center, and rehabs, and sometimes just approaching that discussion of advanced directives, like on the inside, they're like, "Oh no, that, patient, that family is Haitian. Like, there's there's no point to do it. Like, that is like a, a drawback, and that was some prejudice that some people have even in our systems. That yeah. with our particular community, there's really no point to discuss advanced directives because they're not letting no one go. They are not. And the reason why I chose that topic was because at the time I was working in the neuro ICU. So I saw a lot of time and not just Haitian patients. This mm -hmm. is across the board oh, yeah, definitely. where people are making family members are making some very hard decisions. And it was evident that you should have at least a conversation prior to it is not at that time that it would be mm -hmm. ideal. Um, granted, that's in the best case scenario. I have had many conversations with my parents and I, let's just say I decided it would be worth the while um, to try to see about just changing their attitude towards the conversation, not necessarily saying that they needed to implement. Um, however, it was very interesting because I, I did it at a Haitian church, which that was the way I could try to capture a lot of people mm -hmm. at one sitting. And um, I had people stand up and just walk out. They're like, what? I'm signing my organs. And I was like, no, yeah. that's yeah. not what this is about. It's like, yeah. let's have the conversation. Because if you don't have the conversation, then you leave your loved ones to yeah. then have to make that decision right. at a very, very delicate time. Very that's time. not ideal. Yeah. And as it, to the point where it's, it's sometimes it's the indecision where, you know, I'm not going to do anything because I don't want to be left with that burden of choice on me or someone, another person in the family who may disagree says, well, you let them so-and-so go. You should, Barry wanted to be here forever. And you, you said he could like, like, so like having that discussion is so poignant uh, because if you don't, a lot of your family members are not equipped to make that decision. They, they just aren't. And then because I'm a healthcare provider, this is where the DMP portion comes in. We consider how does this then have a snowball effect within the whole healthcare system? Mm -hmm. So granted, if you wanna do all life-saving techniques um, and then decide to peg and trach your family member, that's fine. However, what is the cost at the end of the day? And are you prepared to then see the quality of life of your loved one being at the mercy of other people? So mm -hmm. that's that was why that topic was so important for me at the time was as I'm studying DMP and like we're supposed to be thinking of the whole healthcare system, like how do we save dollars? Because a lot of times dollars are wasted by people going into these long-term facilities and getting poor outcomes such as, you know, pressure ulcers and different things that family members don't consider. And it's like, you just want to keep that person with a pulse, but you don't know what that pulse may equal down the line. And um, it's very raw. It's very like, no one wants to think about that. No one wants to think about those um, situations, but 
that is what my program trained me to do as a DMP nurse practitioner. I should be thinking at, you know, all things holistically. And it's not what you're seeing today right now. It's like, how does this affect long-term? So that being said, I've always kind of stayed in the neural realm. And now, was, always, did you just kind of luck up into it? Cause I know you started out at bedside in a newer telly. Was it, was it at the time you're like, I'm kind of interested in this or it was just like, this kind of where they started me. My whole um, resume is geared to neuro. And I joke with my friends, the only thing that will make me leave this specialty is maybe aesthetics, maybe. Mm. Um, however, I do not see myself leaving because when I did neuro ICU, I saw it from the neuro stand surgery standpoint. So not only like oh, yeah. you treating you with the protocols of stroke, I see if you get diagnosed with a glioblastoma, like what does that mean in terms of nursing care at the bedside postoperatively or preoperatively preparing you? So um, that being said, I have always geared. And when I was getting ready to get my first nurse practitioner job, I was only looking for neurology positions because I know the language. Right. Um, and you, I love that. You've just been so encompassed with it that it just okay. makes sense that like, okay, yeah, this is, so even, so even, so while you're doing a DMP, you're like, it's definitely going to be in, Zero. like, okay, interesting. Unlike the physician route, we do not have a, well, there are, let me backtrack, you rewind. <laughs> so unlike the physician route, there, it's not mandated for nurse practitioners to do residencies. There is a new wave. And I believe at um, Duke, they have a program. I'm not sure if another uh, major institution has a program as well, where they train the nurse practitioner in a residency format. Um, so interesting. Yes, and it's actually really good because as um, as a nurse transitions into provider brain, diagnosing can be very intimidating. My first year, I was very very intimidated. I know stroke protocol. If you are having an issue at the bedside, I can react without blinking an eye. However, when I have to have that conversation of, well, I believe your loved one has Alzheimer's in the beginning, it's very intimidating. And it's like, you lose, uh, not lose, you, um, okay, backtrack, backtrack, what I want to say. And the like, when you're diagnosing somebody with Alzheimer's, you feel very intimidated. It's like the imposter syndrome is eating you away. Mm. And mm. you, you just want to do education. You just want to do the therapeutic, you know, talking with the family members. You don't want to diagnose because if you diagnose, it's like your name's on it versus right. at the bedside. It's like, oh, I can always defer to the physician, the physician. I'm just carrying out the orders as a bedside nurse. So that was one of the things that um, I, when they, I heard that they were doing residency programs for nurse practitioners, I'm like, that should be across the board because my program was family nurse practitioner. So it's like general, like internal medicine, but I've always worked in the neuroscience. So I know the language of neurology. I have a better understanding per se, but I was not trained to be a, provider it, as a neuroscience provider. So it's different when you are a physician, you go for your neurology residency for four years, you know, you do your intern year and then you have three years. And then there's like a sequence of educating you versus right. me, I had to learn on the job. Right. Thankfully, the physician I work with, he's very good. 
um, he's well-trained and he practices neurology, you know, um, to do right by the patient. Basically, we, we make sure that we are as thorough as possible and we don't turn patients away. We don't shy away from some things. Even though he's subspecialized, we see it all. So we're very much comprehensive in it's, our- It's so interesting. And I love that you said that because it's, it, cause I 100% I agree uh, with that sentiment that it, it, it sometimes it is just a different process that occurs when you're the one making the diagnosis when because not only is it making diagnosis and then you're initiating treatment that comes from you like all right I think you have Alzheimer's I want you to do this this and that I want you to take this and that versus in the other person from a nursing standpoint they're usually on the receiving end of the the order right yeah. they're usually on the receiving end of like oh hey the doctor wants me to do this this and that and it, because that and that's what it goes versus now you're the one in charge of not only uh, saying hey this is what you got but this is what I'm going to do for you because of what you got and, yeah. and you, you're responsible now to like again reiterate your thoughts your feelings your orders to someone else to kind of act upon it so I, I 100% agree uh, with that that switch uh, that has to occur, especially when when you're going from uh, that transition of uh, yeah. you know, and I hate to say just a nurse, uh, when you're going that transition from nurse to practitioner. Yeah, it's definitely difficult. Um, and then add another layer onto it. I was the only um, person of my skin type <laughs> um, yeah. that was in the role. So looking across the room and all the providers in the room, I was the only black female provider. And that was very intimidating in the beginning um, cause I just didn't know where did I fit? You know, like how do I, um, how do I operate myself here? Like, how do I make sure that I can convey to my patients and my colleagues that I'm here to do a great job, you know? So that was very- Importantly, I belong here. Like I this, belong. This, it this, took this, a while. We're supposed to be. It's from like yeah. this is, we we didn't just we didn't like you said your resume speaks for itself. We didn't just Correct. luck up into neurology neuroscience. Like I've I've been doing this. Correct. And then as I look around the room, it's like so who can mentor me? Like I don't see anybody that looks like me that can mentor me. And it's like okay, not only am I part of you know the black community. I'm also part of um, the women community. So all these marginalized groups, that, <laughs> you know, it's like, oh. I mean, I'm pretty sure as the higher you go, uh, and I, I definitely know I experienced, especially when, when you, when we were in school together, like our class, I've said this before on this uh, show, our class was, of we had seven of us out yeah. of like 200 and they were like happy and giddy that it was seven of us. They're like, yeah. wow, seven of y'all like it's it was like a thing like because that's how before it used to be maybe one maybe two remember again 200 plus people uh and so i so i can only imagine as you're going from the ranks because I, at least visually well and i'll let you you know expound upon it when i look at the the nursing right you you don't really have that issue of lack of women right in that profession you don't typically have that issue of lack of black women in that profession. Right. So now you're moving up, uh, you know, the ladder and you're seeing less and less of people who look like you, who could probably share some similar cultural differences, cultural experiences with you. Correct. And then 
tapping back into I'm first generation here. So I can't even look towards my parents for yeah. guidance. And, and, you know, now I can kind of like look back of, you know, they just always just pushed us, go to school, go to school. You know, of course we joke in the Haitian community, become a physician, a lawyer, engineer, like those are the only degrees. However, they don't know how to guide us. Nope, at all. They just say, go do it and you figure it out. And I never was like, oh, I'm not There's no way I can attain those things. Like, let me, nursing is good. And not to, you know, bring down the nursing profession, but it's like everybody becomes a nurse. It's easy. I can do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you tap into understanding like your profession when you have um, a pride in it, like how do you take it to the next level type deal? And um, when patients ask me, you know, what does DMP stand for? And I'm like, I always joke with them because they're like, oh, you're doctorally prepared. You should be calling yourself doctor. And I'm like, it's a little convoluted because you may understand, but not every patient understands. Mm -hmm. So I always just say, my name is Katie. I'm your nurse practitioner today. Um, However, it's always so funny when you explain, because if they come in, they see me and they have their preconceived notion of who I am, what I'm about. And then afterwards I speak and then they ask me about my title uh, or my credentialing, I should say, not my title, my my credentials. Then they're like, oh, okay. I see where the doctorally prepared comes in. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah. do, do you ever feel, do you ever feel self-conscious about uh, announcing yourself as the doctor? And like, is, oh, yeah. is, is that, and, and two, I guess two questions. Do you feel self-conscious and does that self-consciousness usually come when you're speaking with uh, the patients or when you're speaking with your colleagues? So in the beginning, um, now, not as much because I I have created a foundation. um, I understand. And then what I don't understand, I acknowledge and I I know how to find the resources. Um, However, in the beginning, um, it is very intimidating and trying to, you know, say that, hey, by the way, I do have a DNP. It is very intimidating, but it does take time. And I guess, too, it's because I come from my characteristic is not to boast. It's to be modest, which that's a whole nother conversation, which, which, I, which I can tell you as the as 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 a doctor. Right. Some sometimes it does hinder us. Because because people will people will play you. People yeah, will, people will play you. And play then you. you know, you know, know you know how we talk on here lunch community. People will yes. definitely try to play you. Yeah, if they you know my upbringing was to be modest, put your head down, work hard. So um tapping into the confidence and learning that, you know, you're not gonna be perfect all the time. You will make mistakes, and that's fine. As long as you do your best and you're honest. You know, if you make a mistake, you just acknowledge it. You try to rectify it the best that you can. However, um, in the beginning, it was very intimidating. And I was very in the notion of, I need to be as modest as possible. I need to be as quiet as possible. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm not boisterous now or like overly arrogant or anything. However, I do let the patients and family members know like, I am an important part of your treatment plan yep. because I'm the provider that will advocate for you. 
because as the role of the nurse practitioner working alongside with my the physician I work with, I'm always thinking, yes, the science is very important, but how do I make it accessible to the patients? Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter your economic status. I want to make sure that the latest treatment that's appropriate for you is accessible to you. So with gaining that knowledge, gaining that understanding, it, I've become more confident. And now it's, I can proudly say I'm a DMP, but in the beginning, it's very intimidating because it's like you, you realize that turning from the bedside nurse to a provider, like, it's like, okay, I'm here. Like I am expected to perform and figure out all these things that I didn't go to med school. I don't understand. Like there's a different foundation that my boss has versus me. So um, now I'm more comfortable saying I'm Dr. Kadia, I'm DMP in the beginning. And, and, and what, I tell, what I tell all the patients who I come in contact with, even though I have my medical degree, like one of the best things about any practitioner is knowing, hey, what you know and knowing what you don't know. And you can be one year in the game, 10 years in the game, 20, it does not matter. If you get to the point where you start acting like you know something you actually don't, the person who gets hurt will always be the patient. Like right. your, your ego got to be put to the side when you, and you got to be able to step aside and say like, nah, I don't know that. Like, yeah. I remember I was a resident and I, I shout out, shout out to Miss um, uh, Louise because she was the first person uh, to teach me how to treat a patient with DK8. I ain't know nothing. Again, I'm a, I'm an intern. I know yeah. nothing about DK. I just knew, all right, I got to do something. And she was like, Hey, 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 Dr. Pierre, I got you. Like, this is what, this is what the doctors always do. They do this. They, and I'm like, Oh, okay. I'm just writing out everything. And she was a nurse. She was an ICU nurse. Cause we all know ICU nurses are crazy smart. Um, you know, ICU nurse, but she, like, so imagine if I had a level of pride where I like, Oh, I'm not going to learn from a nurse. Like my patient is going to get affected. So I always say like that tells me everything about a person when they're able to recognize what they know and what they don't know and who to get it from. Because I'm, I'm an internal medicine physician. I get consults all the time. I get consults all the time because I don't know everything. And I know I don't know everything. And once it gets to, and as an internist, I know a little about a lot, but I know what I don't know. And that's when I go call in the experts say, Hey, Hey, you got the stroke patient, got the seizure patient, got this boom, come, come handle me. Hey, I got this AFib. Come take care of this for me, please. And and that what that is what really makes uh, the next level as a practitioner. Yeah. And, and I can tell you, and I because I take care of uh, patients. I have nurse practitioners uh, who work under me. And one of the things that I always have to reinforce, and it's funny enough, sometimes I have to reinforce to the the other nursing staff um, that hey, that's my nurse practitioner. Like when, when a patient may say, oh, I want to speak to the doctor. Oh, my nurse practitioner didn't around. Like I have to like, let them know, like, like talking to my nurse practitioner is just like talking to me. Cause if I didn't think that was the case, they wouldn't be my nurse practitioner. So I think it's just as important for uh, the physicians who have nurse practitioners uh, un- under them, right. Under, depending on where you're at. Uh, yeah. Cause there's some, there's certain states that it's like right here. Like there's not even a, you don't even, Florida's weird. Yeah. Um, but like understanding that it, it, as a physician, you also have to be making sure you're going to bat for your nurse practitioners so that patients, so that other nursing staff, so that admin can be like, oh, um, only your nurse practitioner rounded, you didn't round. Like, nah, that is, no, nah, we don't, we, I, like, I, at least I don't play that. Like, I'm, I'm, I make sure of that for sure. And it's a, it's a hard, um, it's hard for in the beginning when you're building that relation, because of course, 
I was very fortunate. Like my boss, he kept it. I, what I felt like in the beginning, it, it was like a training, you know? So how, when I was doing my preceptorship, you go in, you assess the patient first, you think of, you know, you formulate your differentials, you come back out, you present it. So he kept that same format with me for a while. Um, now he tells the patients, oh, no, 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 talk with Katie, Katie, talk with Katie. He, he can rest assured that, you know, I am, he's confident that I have a good basis of what's going on and I know how he thinks. So, um, and that's an important thing. I love that. I love how, I know how he thinks. Cause a lot of times it like once, once y'all are in our back pocket, it just makes things so yeah. much easier. It's like, oh yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. Okay. It's the truth. Cause he's like, no, 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 no. Just she, she, she knows. She knows. It's okay. It's okay. Don't worry. He's like cutting the umbilical for the umbilical cord for the patients. It's like, it's okay. It's okay. She understands. Um, recently, um, I was by myself in the office cause he was out of the country doing his medical mission and patients typically like, no, I'm going to wait for the physician. It's like, just going to let you know. It's going to be a while because he, when he comes back, the schedule's already booked. So patients coming to see me now and they're like, oh, you know, we were so used to seeing you both, but I can just see you. It's okay. It's okay. Because, mm-hmm. you know, you, you talk with me. You ask to see how the grandkids are doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it. it's I so funny, it. that shift. So, but it takes time. Okay, it's it takes not time. overnight. It's what not what are some interesting cases? What are some of the, especially, especially obviously you've seen it at so many different levels, but like, what, what are some of the most interesting cases that you like come in contact with? Um, our perineoplastics are always the most interesting. Um, I don't, cause all of neurology is so interesting. Um, I love it. I love it. I, hey, I love that answer. <laughs> all of neurology is interesting. I mean, cause we're very comprehensive. We don't shy away from things, but I think the most interesting um, things that are going on right now with Alzheimer's, there's new um, amyloid beta targeted therapy that's on the market. Well, it's FDA approved, but Medicare is not covering. We can do a podcast uh, just on that. Lunch and learn community. When you, when you hear that phrase, that's a, uh... So <laughs> it was a lot of, um, a lot of things that have occurred yes. and I, I'm trying to figure out how to create content to educate, um, patients because what's interesting as a provider too, and as a minority provider, when new things come out, new therapies and you looking, you're looking at the prescription information and which is the, the you know, what the clinical trials were and you see that population and you see like two percent black it's like i know it's layered it's our love and hate for the medical world i get it yes he was real yes you know ob they were not giving any sedation i I get it the whole pain like like we can run down the list and and yeah but we have these healthcare conditions too. Yes. So it's always interesting of how can I tap into, um, because I, I do work in an affluent um, community, which has the resources, the economic resources that are not for the everyday person. Mm-hmm. So they may pay cash for a medicine that I know like my family member wouldn't be able to, cause we just don't have that, you know? So um, 
what I find interesting is how can we make it more accessible and knowing how to maneuver. So when the pharmaceutical reps come and they're getting ready to launch a program and they're asking our take on things and it's like accessibility, like thinking of how do you try to enroll? How do you try to engage the marginalized communities? Okay. You know, so with Alzheimer's, going back to that, um, they're doing some posts because it's on the market. So it's like post-market um, clinical trials and try to enroll more minorities. So wow. right now it's like Blacks as well as Hispanics. Um, we want to try to enroll as much as possible to see, to further understand. Because right. that's the exciting thing about neurology is there's a lot of unknown. When you think about Alzheimer's, you think about Parkinson's, neurodegenerative disorders, it's like you may have the pathology, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's gonna to translate to you having Alzheimer's. Just because you have amyloid beta proteins doesn't mean you're gonna have a memory issue mm. or your MRI of your brain when we look at it could look pristine. However, you, you're you not cognitively there. Wow. Wow. So um, lots of interesting things. I can't really say that there's one um, we've been doing some CTE cases, um, for, former NFL football oh, wow. players. Mm -hmm. So that's another conversation in itself too, because what therapies do we have for them? You know, it, 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 that I know the NFL has a new initiative that they're doing, a big initiative that they're trying to capture um, because of um, all the legal, you know, backfall that's happened with that. Um, Ah, there's so much. There's multiple sclerosis. There's stroke is always going to be a favorite of mine. Stroke is always there. Um, I, I think I think my neurologist. I, I always I always say that the neurology team, especially just in medicine, has the best physical exam. Oh yeah, the most detailed physical exam. Like. We joke, we joke about the surgeons who like, they don't even carry a stethoscope because they're not touching their patients. But when you look at the other side of the spectrum, like the neurologists and what they're able to ascertain before they do a lab test, before they do a, a, a study, anything, just by being able to look and evaluate the patient has always been one of the most amazing things that I've like loved about the field of neurology, how they're just able to be like, oh, okay, all right, like that, 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 oh, it's probably that area there. Like, and I'm just, even now. You have to localize now. the lesion. That's the <laughs> biggest thing. You have to localize the lesion. So if your assessment is not matching up, the patient comes with a chief complaint of something. The assessment, you use your tools that you have, your reflex hammer, your tuning fork, you know, and if it's not, adding up it's like okay now we need to add in the diagnostic you know your imaging or your emg whatever the case may be but it has to be so and then too within the neurology realm a lot of our medications are super expensive so these insurance companies they want you to be as accurate as possible what is your significant findings on your exam then that will get the approval going back into the whole accessibility you know um topic but it's very important in neurology, you have to localize the lesion, like it has to make sense because then you could be missing something. A patient can come in and say, I have blurry vision and it's not really blurry vision. They have a visual deficit, like they're they're missing half of their vision in both eyes. Right. And it's like, oh, and they, you're and they just compensated and just assume that it's just a blurry. 
Yep. Uh, and then just this past week, the guy was like, oh, he came back to us. Um, originally, he was seeing us for lower back pain. So he has some stenosis, which equals to arthritis um, to his lower back. And then he's coming for a regular checkup. How are you doing? You're fine. You're taking your gabapentin. You did your physical therapy. Any new symptoms? Oh, I have blurry vision. Tell me more about this blurry vision. Right. Right. I want to know. Stat MRI, you're having a stroke. Wow. So it's like you have to be detailed with your assessment. If not, you can miss a lot of things. And what I love, and, and obviously we, we kind of mentioned it before, and I always typically every time I bring my uh, my experts on the field uh, on the show, is that I, I I've noticed that not only are you keeping like obviously you're taking care of the patients in the clinic but you're really doing a much more expedient effort to kind of educate the community at large with what you've been experiencing. Like talk, let's talk about the neuro nuggets, but like, let's talk about what kind of led us to like even want to do it because for a lot of practitioners, they're 100% okay taking care of their patients and going about their day. And, but it does take that extra step to one, use uh, the internet, use social media, to continue to educate a community that they may not be able to physically touch, uh, visually see, uh, but know that their words can get to them. Like, tell, tell us a little bit about that motivation just behind like your endeavors in that, in that field. So my endeavors into content creation as a healthcare provider kind of organically formed. Um, I would joke with my friends that there's a specific scrub company that I want to be affiliated with. So I'm like, I gotta, I gotta get into doing content creation <laughs> to get some free gear. Yes. But then too, it's, um, I would joke about that, but then it's like, when I look around being a millennial and knowing that this is how the world has evolved mm -hmm. and it's not only in the medicine industry this is across the board a lot of people get their information through social media so how can i tap into using my skill set to provide education but not giving medical advice because i'm not your healthcare provider um but also to like kind of um educate the nursing profession, those who may be wanting to do what I do and not see somebody who looks like me. So um, I just kind of organically created it. And um, right now, still in the very nebulous phase of it, creating content um, as I see fit. I don't want to mimic another person, um, which I don't think I am because I don't see anybody but, else. Uh, I, I can tell you just as as a, uh, I guess a long time health content creator, like I'm, I'm, I'm very keen on the content creators, especially when they look like me. So when I, whenever I see one, I'm like, oh, okay, what's going on over here? Because I'm, I'm just interested to see what's happening. Yeah. So I, I can assure you that there's not a lot of people who are doing that education, in such a specialized field. And more importantly, and I always say that, even if there was 10 people, even if there's a hundred people, there's not a lot, there's no one who's doing it like you would do it. Correct. And, and Correct. a lot of times, you know, that fear of, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to seem like I'm someone else. I don't want to seem like I'm just using there. Like, but I can assure you, one, there's not a lot of people doing it. And two, um, no one's going to do it like you do it. And, Correct. and that's why, again, that's why I was so attracted. I was like, oh, yeah, I said, oh, I see, I see, I see the flavor. Yeah. I, I can, Thank you. Thank I can you. see yeah. where, where that goes. 
uh, more importantly, because like I said, me and you share a lot of characteristics. You know, uh, I'm the oldest Haitian American. Parents ain't no. Uh, my 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 mom worked at Red Lobster. My dad was like a like a janitor and landscaper. Like, ain't, ain't no nothing about medicine. It, they, no. not not a clue. They but just, you're gonna become a doctor. They, they, they you are gonna go. become a doctor. Right. They just told me to go. And and so when you, when you look back and you and I and I always talk, I always remark because my my father he passed away and I was a first year medical student uh, from heart disease. Sorry. Um, mind you, he didn't. He, his son was in medical school. He didn't talk to his son about his heart disease. Didn't talk to his, his son about blood pressure. So I'm like, all right, I can have someone in my immediate family not re- recognize that they probably need to be talking to someone about their health. Like I can only imagine what it's like for families who look like me just across, you know, the country, across the world. So, so that was why I kind of said, like, I want, all right, I'm going to do this thing here because like, yes, I may not like my dad's gone, but like, I may be able to save someone else's father, someone else's mother, someone else's uncle and grandma uh, with the message that I bring. So that's why I love when I I see new content creators come because I know you're going to be the reason why someone like really takes their vision issues a little bit more seriously next time. Yes. Most people think it's like, oh, I have vision issues. I'm gonna go to my ophthalmologist and I'll just get an appointment whenever. It's like, actually, you're having an acute stroke right now. Like we need to figure out what's going on because it could be a posterior stroke. And let's make sure like if you're throwing clots, like is this atrial fibrillation? Like, right. Let's, right. Let's, let's be as proactive as possible. But um, going back to what you're saying to um, the parents, that don't speak to their kids about their health issues or that's another conversation in itself yes. too yes because I joke with my mom I'm like what do you think I do all day do you think I'm just like sitting there so um that's another reason too it's like oh that's too funny com- having conversations with my patients so this is kind of it's a little intimidating but I have comfort knowing what I do know and how I can communicate that because that is the most important thing to me. I don't want to seem like, you know, I'm a DMP. I need to use all these big words. Like, how do I make it make sense to you? Mm-hmm. Because that's the way I learn. Like, let's let's bring it to the level that you understand. And when you leave the office, I want you to be able to leave confidently. So I joke with my mom, like, she's like, oh, I'm having headaches. And I'm like, you do know I've always worked neurology. This is like 12 years now. Like, what do you think I do all day? Right. So um, I hope what um, my journey, my endeavor, um, I can collaborate with different content creators as well as, um, you know, I envision one day doing like a health fair that really translates. And it's not like your generic health fair. Like I want the communities to understand that we serve of accessibility and really continuity of care because when you think of the grand scheme of like medicare dollars or healthcare dollars in a sense a lot of times it's like okay you got that one blood pressure reading and they don't see a healthcare person forever yeah till so probably like, till probably till the next time you come around correct and it's like how do you drop that understanding like i'm here for you and I look just like you. And I want you to know that there's resources. So I envision someday, you know, um, I'll have NIH grant funding where we can do even better preventative care. So how that will come about, I don't know. But um, I just, I, you know, I want this to grow as organically as possible. 
I wanted to do consulting for nursing inspired um, professionals who may want to join into neurology or just have, a, you know, they, they want to learn more about the nursing profession because I've been doing this over a decade. It continues to change. It continues to evolve. Um, it, it's scary um, how some of the evolution has occurred. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm from that old school thought of like, let's pay it back because I don't want it to be so far removed where you don't have genuine, like good care at the bedside. Cause that's the scary thing too. It's right. like, you know, with COVID people are just like over the healthcare system running us to the mud. And it's like, how do we make sure that we educate, we promote, we, um, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? I think, it's, I think just a love, just a level of advocation for, yes. for advocation. Yes. Right. For, for that, for that patient, right? It's just, yes. you said the best for COVID. COVID, it, it just, it, it, it really took a hit on the profession and it's not just nursing at the bedside. It's, you know, nursing homes, you have your, like everyone was affected in the nursing home, profession. Rehab. And again, because I just see all, because I'm at all different levels, nursing homes, rehabs, long, like everywhere has just been, like just decimated with, you know, just this, this an absence or people leaving our profession in droves because they're tired. They don't want to do it this anymore. They rather do something that is not only uh, appreciated and respected, right? Like they, like those two, those two things, unfortunately, I think got, got sped up in being lost uh, during this pandemic, right? That lack of appreciation, that lack of respect, and then they ain't paying well, right? That's whole another discussion. Yeah. Right. And so like all those things that kind of sped up this exodus that I think we're, we're going to continue to see unless something like drastically changes. Yes. And then when people say that, oh, we have a nursing shortage, we don't have a nursing shortage. You need to, as administrators, understand how do you retain your staff? Like actually talk with your staff to see what are their needs and wants. Like, mm-hmm. Obviously, you're not going to pay me the same that you're paying a physician because I'm not, you know, at the bedside, I'm not generating funds, but I'm the, I'm the bottom line. You want to make sure that your nurses are trained properly, that they're understanding their protocols, they're working within their scope of practice and making sure that these patients are staying alive and well, you know, they're, that they're not coming out with worse outcomes because your nurses are stretched so far. They're like so spread out thin and it's like you know and it's not just nurses i'm just speaking from the nursing i can no, i can definitely access. concur i can concur from the nursing perspective and i mean don't get me started on how they can pay a travel nurse two times the amount that your home bread and brother nurse uh, is doing the same job cannot get paid like right. so and and then the home the the bread and brother nurse who's who's that home base has to train the like yeah yeah, yeah that's the whole <laughs> and then you hear the CEO is making over a million dollars yes and it's like right. things don't make sense nope. you know it just it doesn't make sense so um, what I hope to do with my platform I have many ideas uh, we'll see how they translate. Um, but my main focus is making sure that I have a good work-life balance because I'm still very much, you know, working Monday through Friday. 
I'm a mother of a 22 month old and I have a husband and two dogs. So very busy. Yes. Um, and Hello. I just, you know, I, I, I want to have fun, enjoy my friends, enjoy my family. So, I, you know, I'm excited for what the future holds. But given that I have this foundation and level of skill set that I can tap into and not necessarily have to do too much work into, it's just the content creation part um, that I'm excited to see what happens. But yeah, so, I, so there's what, so what, much what, we can talk about. Like I can come back. Yes. Black oh, I, I love, I love clinical I trials, um, our family being of Haitian descent and family members, they don't take us. It's like, I, I it blows my mind. My father, just a little, you know, um, transparency. My father got diagnosed with lymphoma at the beginning of COVID. And the Haitian community loves to do their teas. He literally was doing a tea that was giving him like liver failure. Did not disclose that. It, it, it was just a chaotic, and it's just we can talk about that too. There's a lot. Yeah, there's, there's a lot, lot. we can bring to the congregation. You so bringing me back because I literally I I had a slip the pipsis, which is an orthopedic injury, and they was giving me teas. They was having me bathe in like uh, like I was like bathing in tea leaf water. It was. Yeah. And I was like, mom, just take me to the doctor. Stop playing. Like this, you know, I'm yeah. young. I had to realize like, mom, like this, this not getting any better. You can rub hot oil all you want. Yeah. Right. And again, that's just more of, again, let's show community. This is a cultural competency, right? This is just, yeah. you have to know the culture that you're dealing with. Right. Yeah. Especially when you're talking to certain patients, right. You just have to understand like, yeah, they probably try. And I, I'm all for integrative medicine because yes. medicine came from your herbs and things mm -hmm. like that. However, you need to disclose that. That's why it's so important to disclose that to your healthcare providers. Talk to us. That's all. That's all we're asking. Just be open. We're here. We're it's here. like, so then why did you encourage me to go to school? If you're going to do your own thing is what I would reply to them. I'm like, you're doing your own thing. You're not telling the doctor. Like if I am not part of the conversation that piece of information that's very vital is not being expressed. And I'm like, come on, guys. It's too, uh, so I, I can go on and on. Yes. For hours. No, no, we're gonna, no, we're gonna have you back. We're gonna have you back. We love, we love, we love repeat guests here on Medicine Mondays. Yeah. We're gonna have you back. Where can where can people follow you to, to follow you on in the be, now the beginning of this content creative journey so they can just kind of see you watch and prosper and just do amazing things? Where where can people find you? You can follow me on Instagram at Dr. Katia DMP. So it's at Dr. K E T T I A dot DMP. And for now, that's my only platform, but hopefully I'll have a website soon and whatnot. But, um, you know, you can reach out if you want to collaborate or if you have any interesting um, things that you want to discuss in terms of neurology. Um, I love neurology. I get excited when I see persons of color um, in neurology, as, especially if it's a Black woman. Oh, my gosh. That just melts my heart. Melts my heart. So it's very, um, you know, because as we, um, as we evolve as humans, and there's more rights and accessibility for marginalized people, it's very exciting to see more representation. So exciting time we're, we're here for it and again thank you lunch learning community again please make sure and i obviously heard the description will be her, her instagram page will be in the description and show notes for my podcast listeners um so you just click away you head on the page make sure you follow her uh we are gonna like i said we are make sure we bring her back we're gonna follow her along on her journey it's gonna do amazing things 
because uh, we, we're just we're because we wish it right we wish it we say it right so we're going to just do right that's how, that's how we do here uh in our community we just bless you again thank you for uh joining our show today thank you thank you bye everyone see you in the interwebs thank you for getting to the end of the episode i am yours truly dr barry pierre favorite board certified internist like always remember to subscribe to the podcast leave us a five-star review and more importantly share this to at least two of the five of your friends and family members that you know that could be empowered with the words that you heard today again so appreciative of all you guys' support see you guys next week